this is a very exciting. Um, it, it feels like this is kind of the, the end and the beginning of a journey that started over a year ago. God speaking to me and Ruth about moving from Cardiff down to back down to Falmouth. So Ruth grew up in Falmouth. I grew up in Helston. Uh, so there's a bit of rivalry there. Um, Florida trumps every festival. Falmouth has a festival every day. It's like <laughs> they put the bunting up and it's just like, well, we'll leave it up because what is it this week? Um, so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is just unpack our vision statement, which is kind of what we've boiled down, wrestled with um, over the last, well, basically a year of what we think God is calling us to as a community. What would, what would Falmouth Vineyard be known as? So um, so that will be fun for you. If you do miss a week, don't worry. We're going to, by the magic of technology, hopefully put it up on the website. I haven't worked out how to do it yet. But um, in faith, it will be there for next week. So if you miss anything, and by faith, this will be recorded as well. Cadevo's um, on it. So, um, yeah, so we're g- I just thought... Um, Let's just stick it up, Dave. Can you put the, fra- the, the the statement up? This is the statement we're going to go through. We believe God has called us to be uh, to establish an extravagantly welcoming, authentic community that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and rooted in the Bible to see Cornwall come alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. So tonight, we are just going to be looking at that first phrase, extravagantly welcoming. What does it look like to be a community that is extravagantly welcoming and known for as being a welcoming community. So we're going to look at a Bible story, one that Jesus told, one of the parables, and uh, look at a few other verses as well. But before we launch in, I'm just going to pray. So Lord God, we thank you. We've got this time to share together. Thank you. You've given us a word, your word to, to read and to, that reveals more of your, your love and your character, your depth of relationship you long to have with us. And Lord, we just pray you would empower me by your spirit, to, to speak your words, and Lord, we just pray that even though it's late on a Thursday night, that we'd be able to listen as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you think about vision statements, they're kind of weird, because in theory, doesn't every church kind of have the same vision? That's what I kind of think. Like, Great Commission, surely it's go out and make disciples of all nations. So, when you think about a vision statement for a particular church, the way I think about it is, how is this church going to reach Falmouth? And what is it going to be known for? Um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And our, our vision statement is purely just us trying to discern what God has called us to in this town and beyond. How can we as, an in- as a community introduce Jesus to Falmouth? That's basically it. And what is this community going to look like? And I appreciate that not all of us live in Falmouth. Um, but I think there's an invitation in this talk, uh, regardless of our geographical location, that we would be extravagantly welcoming wherever we live. So tonight, let's launch in. It's something that me and Ruth feel really passionate about, that the church would be known for an open door, that the church would be known for a welcome, the church would be known for amazing refreshments, that the church would be known that you can just turn up however you're feeling, whatever you like, you've had the best day in the world, you've just got a new job, to having the worst day in the world, you just had a horrific news, and you would just be able to come into this community and go, it's okay, because I'm with family, and this is a safe place, just have a cry, have a cheer, can't do Prosecco because we're not allowed Prosecco in here. But you know what I'm saying, that we can celebrate with each other even without Prosecco. There, it can be done. So, but shouldn't the church, with the amazing good news that the church has, sometimes keeps it under wraps, shouldn't that community be the most welcoming community in the whole? You get clubs sometimes that are more welcoming than churches. But anyway, let's move on. Um, 
it makes me think what is the purpose of the church what's the purpose of this church is it a place of teaching yes hopefully is it a place of worship yes is it a place of community yes but it's more than that the church has to exist for the benefit of its non-members for the people outside its doors, not the people inside its doors. It's for those yet to come. You might have heard that phrase before. It's for those yet to come. And tonight we're going to look at a passage where Jesus tells the story of a son who leaves home. He messes up his life and then decides to come back to his father and face the music. So hopefully you've got a Bible with me. Let's have a look. Um, we're just going to look at the first part of the story in Luke chapter 15. And it should, by the wonder of technology, come up on the screen as well. This story comes at the end of a passage where Jesus tells a number of parables about the kind of giveaway God's heart for the lost. Um, he talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep. He le- we sung about it, the reckless love of God that leaves the 99 and goes searching after the one. So this is kind of the end of a chapter in the account of Jesus' life where he's talking about the God's heart for the lost, God's heart for those that are far away. So Luke chapter 15 verse 11 Jesus continues because this is just after the other parable says this there's a ma- there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me a share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, verse 17, he said, How my f- many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now this is an incredible story. I love, I love, I love this story. And Jesus uses these stories to convey something about God to the people that are listening. And he's got something for us in this story as well. But what has this story got to do with welcome? This story paints a picture of God, the creator of the universe, as a loving father. And the object of the father's love leaves him. And effectively, by saying, can I have my inheritance, he's effectively saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me everything I'm going to get when you're dead now because I want to go off and have an amazing holiday. And he doesn't really plan his finances and it all comes to a horrible end. And the whole meaning in this story is about the breakdown of relationship between the father and the son. And then if you read on the other layer of this story, it would all be about the Jewish culture and how unclean this guy would have been because he'd gone to another culture and the pigs would have been the dirtiest job that a Jewish boy could have had. And you kind of, and this would have been shame on his family, shame on the community. 
And so he's there living a crazy lifestyle, rejecting everything that's kind of all of his culture, all of his history, all of his religion, and squanders this wealth. And in that living, he would have been completely rejected, not by his family, but also by the whole of the society as well, the whole of the culture around him. And I know some of us in the room might be parents. What would our reaction have been? What would your reaction have been? Sometimes I get grumpy when the kids don't put their pajamas on, let alone move to another country, spend half of my money, and then come back. You're like, how's he going to react? Not very good. I'd be slightly grumpy. They forget to say please and thank you, and I'm like, come on, say thank you. This story is a whole new level. But the incredible picture, we read it, didn't we? In this story is the father. And I imagine him not waiting. I don't know if you imagine one of those American houses that has like a veranda with a rocking chair and he sits there every day just like, hmm. Or do you imagine him on the edge of his estate? He's literally at the furthest possible line of the boundary of his land. And every day he's got his binoculars out and he's looking to see, will he catch a glimpse of his son? Is his son going to come home or is he dead? Because there's no internet. He doesn't know. He can't see his Facebook status update. He doesn't know what's going on. He's not tweeting anymore. It's all gone dead. He doesn't know any, any clue what's going on with him. But the incredible picture in this story is of God the Father looking, glimpsing on the edge of his land with his most powerful set of binoculars to get a glimpse of his son returning. Not so that he can give him a good telling off. Like, oh, I can't wait till he gets here because I'm going to give him a right piece of my mind. How dare he? Doesn't he? Who does he think he is coming back here now after doing all of that stuff? No, it's not. And it's not so that he can say, well, do you know what? Since you've been gone, a few rumors came back to the village and they all know what you've been up to. And now I'm living with the shame of what you've done. It doesn't say that, does it? It says this, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. This would have been culturally completely unacceptable. The men in that culture at that time would have been wearing long, roby things. He hitched it up, ran to the edge of his... Like this, you just did not do that. Did not do that at all. He ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And you can you imagine the reaction of the son going, am I in for it? Am I literally, well, how is he going to react? And instead of getting a mouthful or a kick in or anything else, he gets a hug, an embrace and a welcome. And not only that, the father says, quick. And he says quick because he needs the, his household to come out and embrace the son. He restores him. He gives him a robe. He restores him into the family. Gives him a ring. He, puts, he gives him his sonship back. And he puts sandals on his feet because he's not coming back as a servant. He's coming back as a son. And he gets to him before the village can get to him. And he takes the shame and restores him into the relationship. Isn't that an incredible picture of how God is? And there is a town on our doorstep literally just out there who don't realize that this is the God that we worship. They don't realize that because of this incredible act of love, and what this, this story is talking about is the talking about the cross. It's talking about God doing everything in who Jesus is and how he died and how he was raised to life to restore, to reconcile us with the creator. We are the sun, a long way off, but God has come running out to us. And the beauty of grace, and this is kind of, this is distinctive of Christianity over any other faith, is saying, actually, it's not about anything you can do. So that none of you can boast. It's just for grace, and that's a gift of God. 
The beauty of grace is that it has nothing to do with our, our ability because that would be self-righteousness. The beauty is that God's grace doesn't leave us where we are. It doesn't come to the edge of the land and say, well, that's okay. The Father wraps him up, restores him, and brings him in. I love this quote um, from Brennan Manning. It just says this, define yourself radically as one beloved of by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, um, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, but because of this, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. So what, how do we apply this story to this community? What would a community look like that valued welcome higher than order? What a valued welcome higher than order. Do you know what I mean? A community that did in that in all it did welcomed those that are searching, welcomed those that are questioning, welcomed those that are chaotic, welcoming those who are forgotten, often by society, welcoming the confused, the broken, the addicted, the far off. What would that community look like? What would a community look like that didn't make people measure up to a standard before they came through the door? They just welcomed them with open arms. But because we all recognize that we are nothing but apart from the grace of God. Because we are no better than anyone else. We are just by faith receiving this grace. We recognize our own brokenness, our own failures and our own weaknesses. And that is a position to welcome those around us. God gives us a mission to extravagantly welcome in this passage. And we hope to be a community that welcomes with peace, not with questions. Another side of this extravagant welcome we feel as a community that God's been really putting on our hearts is that it would extend to all ages. It's not just for us in the room now. We, I've just been really struck by Jesus' words. In, um, it's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. It might come up. Just see the, the um, parents of the, some little children, Jesus is just trying to preach, and they try to bring the children up to Jesus to bl- for him to bless them. And the disciples kind of bodyguard Jesus and get in the way. And they're like, no, 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 can't come through. Hang on, this is Jesus. There's no children allowed. Come on, they're nothing in society. What are you? This is Jesus. Come on, he's a big deal. Off with you. Then the people, verse 13, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. I love it when the disciples get everything wrong. It makes me feel so much better. Verse 14, Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these and the question i've been asking myself and wrestling with is what does it look like for there to be unhindered access for children to jesus for the children in this town what does it look like and while we've been praying and seeking god for what he has for this church for the vineyard in falmouth we've been reminded again and again that we need to value and prioritize our children and the children's church as much as we do the adult church. That's why we're doing these kids' events in the Maritime Museum, that we would start to build um, relationships and be able to impact in, in, the, in, the, in the families and the kids' life in this town. What does it look like to have an extravagantly welcoming kids' church? I think at the very least, it looks like a creating a space that is safe and fuels the imagination of these little minds. I don't know about you, if you've got little kids, they come back with the most amazing questions, generally about insects, fire, or I'm not going to do any toilet talk, but other things as well. Um, 
but it's just inc- their minds are firing. We talk about establishing connections with our kids and attachments. What would it look like for a generation in Falmouth of kids to have an attachment with God from this early age? To be able to go into life invested in, to have an identity. They know they are beloved of God. I'm excited about that. That gives me... It, it, at the, and at the very least, it's creating an environment where they're safe and it, they're fueling their imagination. It's about having a kids team that are captivated by Jesus themselves. They have the resources they need to communicate the passionate love of God and the incredible person of Jesus and the wonder of the Holy Spirit in a way that they will understand. We'll talk a little bit more about that late, next week as well. I had a conversation a few weekends ago with one of the um, one of the school dads at a birthday party. And he mentioned that he grew up with Ruth, and um, and I had was silent. I was like, "That's nice." And then he said, "Oh yeah, we went to the same church together." Blah blah blah. And I used to get dragged along to the kids' stuff, and I, you know, I really hated it. I was like, "Oh, I just want to be out playing football." And I was like, "All right, that's interesting." Um, and then he explained to me again, like one-sided conversation. I'm just not that I'm 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 just not religious, not religious at all. I just not that I don't mean live a moral life just can't really see the point now and um and then he just said a fascinating thing but he said you know what but it's still when it gets tough you know when my family's going through something or like it's really hard i still pray i'm like that's amazing so you've i i and and then he went off and we talked about cars because that's what dads do and um and dads with more than one child talk about how you can have the best car with that fits the most car seats in that's really hard these are the things they're just tough it's tough how can you find a car that's anyway? And then he uh, he went off and blah blah blah, and he came back and he goes, "Oh, I just chatted to Ruth, and then you actually lead a church, don't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He said, "I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to say what I did. Like, I'm really sorry. I'd like talked about the other church." And I was like, "I like don't need no need to apologize." I I and I literally said to him, "What I heard you say was, you didn't like the packaging of church." but you did not reject Jesus. You didn't reject the person of God. You didn't reject the uh, the existence of God and you still cry out to him when you pray. I was like, you <laughs> you have actually still caught something even though you didn't like the packaging. What would it look like for a community in this town to not just connect, but thrive on the word of God and in who they are in Christ? Um, isn't that interesting? It's fascinating the amount of people in our society that when everything is going wrong, they still cry out in prayer. Still cry out in prayer. Faith faith foundations are laid during children's early years as well. They need to know they are an object of God's love. They need to know that their identity is in him and the beauty of Jesus and the comfort the Holy Spirit brings in all they're going through. I'm constantly reminded that the gospel is good news. It has to be good news to our children as well. It's not a chore. So we want this community to be a beacon of grace, a beacon of grace, a welcome everyone, and welcome everyone who wants to explore faith and who is asking questions about who Jesus is. We would then have the privilege of introducing Jesus, and we would empower every one of us. It's not just the Nathan and Ruth show. That would be a horrific show but that we would all be empowered to have these conversations and go out and say, do you know what, I just had this night at church, or we're talking about Jesus, have you ever thought about exploring who he is and some of the claims? He doesn't ever say he's just a wise man or a prophet. He actually says he's the son of God. Like, what does that mean? Isn't that crazy? Isn't the Bible weird? Like, have you read this bit? And just start those kind of conversations about who Jesus is. Why did he die? Like, what's Easter all about? Like, what's the big deal with Christmas? 
there's so many conversations you can have. Because um, sometimes it will involve teaching and explaining the Bible and the gospel. And other times it will just be demonstrating the love of God. Almost this grace shown to us. How do we demonstrate that love to this town? To the communities that we live with are, are not just theoretical neighbors, our actual physical neighbors. Would they know the love of God through how we are neighboring them? And other times it might simply be providing space and opportunity to invite God's presence and let him minister to us. Just creating that safe space for people to, to, uh, to explore who Jesus is. So, part one. Should we stand? So, do you want to come up? We just have loved in the vineyard providing space at the end of this service just to respond. It may be that as I've been speaking, something like a phrase has just jumped out of you. Like, actually, I wouldn't mind someone pressing in with me and praying for me around that. It may be that you've come here tonight and thinking, actually, do you know what? I've got something physically wrong that I would love for someone to pray for, like healing-wise. And we'd love to pray for you if that's the case as well.